The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. It's Matt Slick Live. Matt is the founder and president of the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, found online at CARM.org. When you have questions about Bible doctrines, turn to Matt Slick Live for answers. Taking your calls and responding to your questions at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. It's me, Matt Slick. Listen to Matt Slick Live. If you want to give me a call, all you have to do is dial 877-207-2276. I want to hear from you. Give me a call. You can also uh, email me at um, info at karm.org, info at karm.org. And just put in the subject title there. Just put in radio question or radio comment. And uh, I want to hear from you so you can give me a call. All right. Why don't we just jump on the line, get to David from North Carolina. David, welcome. You are on the air. Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey. How you doing? Oh. I was wondering about the Hebrew manuscripts that we got today from which we, you know, translate the Old Testament into English. Uh-huh. How do we know that the Hebrew that Moses wrote 1,500 years before Christ was the same Hebrew? What do you mean by same Hebrew? Same words? Just like in the English language 400 years ago was quite different from what the English language is today. And I was wondering about the 1,500-year gap between Moses' writing Hebrew and the Hebrew that we got for the uh, manuscripts from from the Hebrew language for the Old Testament. So let me jump in by saying that the book of Job, I've heard, is the oldest book in the Bible that it's written chronologically, you know, when it was penned before Moses penned the the Pentateuch. And um, it has a Hebrew style that um, our Hebrew professor in seminary said is a a bit of an older style, but perfectly understandable. And so, uh, you know, okay. Well, when you have a, a set of scriptures and that's what you as a culture use it's going to solidify the language when luther translated the bible into german there were a lot of different accents and dialects and things like that in germany at the time and so when he translated it into the german it solidified the uh, the overall language and kind of codified yeah. it and you so know the, the king james though I did not solidify the English language because 400 years later, our English is quite different from the uh, King James yes. English. Yes, How did, that's that. Uh, Martha's Luther's German, you know, uh, make today's German uh, solidify. What I'm saying is that it unified there and and solidified it. It doesn't mean, though, that the language didn't change any because new technologies, no vocabularies, new ideas would come in, and so that would uh, cause the language to be affected by that. But generally speaking, you have the the German. I have I have a book printed in 1722, and I've had native German speakers look at it, and they could read it from 1722. And they said it was a little bit difficult, but they could. And so... Uh, it's not that big a deal, but uh, I'm not a Hebrew uh, manuscript expert, and uh, I can just trust that the Jews knew what they were doing when they were keeping the 
manuscripts because they would consider yeah. them to be extremely valuable and from God himself, and so they're going to copy them exceedingly carefully, and that's what happened. Okay. Yeah. I know 1,500 years is a lot of time for the Hebrew thing. And, yes. um And, you know, our language was translated into the King James English, even Wycliffe before the King James Version yes, and everything. And yet our language still changed despite being put down in Scripture. And, well, well, you know, but hold on, uh, hold on, there's a difference. Okay, the American culture and stuff like that wasn't dedicated to the any particular English version of the Bible as the inerrant Word of God that had to be uh, kept in uh, sacred jars and preserved through persecutions and things like this. It's a different thing. So you'd have to talk to a Hebrew expert about this to see what they would say about this this issue of the... Uh, yeah, because I saw a PBS documentary one time on ancient Hebrew lettering uh, that they unearthed in excavations right. in older, Israel. Yep. And it was a lot different from the Hebrew that I right. see in the uh, Strong's Concordance. It was uh-huh. uh, like stick figures and, you know, everything. Yes. And I was wondering if that was the Hebrew that existed when Moses wrote. Uh, I don't know. But you know, I, I'm familiar with that as well. And uh, so there's ancient forms of writings that uh, have been used. And you could have the ancient writing mean the same thing. The ancient letters mean the same thing. They could just be modified over time for uh, scribal uh, purifications and ease of writing and clarity. So you could, it doesn't necessitate that the language is different, but that the writing style might be different. Like when you read the original King James, an F, excuse me, was it an F? Our, excuse me, the S looks like an F. It's a really loopy kind of a long S, and well, that could cause I've confusion. Seen the so you'd see, King James, you know, yeah, so, of the original King James, and it is hard to read. Yes, and so since the S and F were similar, you could see how people would say, "Well, this is a problem. Let's shorten the S form of that," and that's how the S became. But it's the same thing. So okay. it's just that there's variations. So you have to talk to someone who's an expert in that to see what they would have to say. Okay. okay, well, thank you so much for your time, Matt. You're welcome. Well, God bless. All right, that was David from North Carolina. If you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. Let's get to Jamal. Welcome. You are on the air. Thank you for, the, thank you for taking my call. Sure. What do you I got, man? What you ask about something I saw online it was, there was this uh, professor and he was talking and somebody chimed in saying well you know the bible is a white man's bible and everything and it's uh, oppressive and then this African guy chimed in and said the bible was in Africa before it got to Europe well you know I don't have you know, the the tools in front of me to do the kind of research at least I don't think so. So I said, well, I'll just have Matt Slick answer that question. So I wanted to see what you thought about that. Well, I don't know if that's the case because I'm not a uh, a Bible history uh, expert. But uh, ah, okay. so I would say that uh, my first guess, if I had to guess, I'd say, yeah, Africa had it first because uh, okay. 
I would say that. But see, it's not that, well, it's not that easy. Because okay. the Bible, the Old Testament is is consistent, you know, of the 39 books. And the Jews had that. And it was basically kept in, well, in Egypt. So they had the Bible there absolutely before Europe did in that sense, of course. And then when okay. uh, they, they went into the land of where Israel is, then they were there for a long period of time. Well, Jews started moving into the Mediterranean area. They would have had copies of this. In fact, they had the Septuagint version of the Old Testament about 200 B.C. So the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew text, that would have... Um, have existed, and it, I'm sure it was brought up, and some copies were brought up into Europe. Now, when the New Testament was written, it was probably written in Europe before Africa. It would have to be, because uh, Paul okay. was in jail in Rome, and he's writing letters in Rome to uh, different uh, churches and different individuals, as an example. So the New Testament was in, I would say, absolutely was in Europe before uh, it was Africa, but I would say the Old Testament was in Africa before it was in Europe. Okay. Ah, okay. Thanks. Um, yeah. Of course, I can go back and anybody else, you know, what I heard yeah. from, from Matt Slick. So um, it's good to be in the know, to know um, what knowledge is true uh, about the Bible, or, or what information is true, rather, about the Bible. Uh, can I ask one quick follow, follow sure. question, please? Sure. Uh, can you tell me about the Dead Sea Scrolls? I keep hearing different things about it, and I just want to get a take on the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah, the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and were also, discovered. Uh, mm -hmm. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just saying, and also that place of history. Yes, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1946. A shepherd boy threw a rock into a cave, thinking there was a lost goat was in there. And I've actually been in that very cave. I've actually gone to Israel, walked up the hill and with a tour guide and everything. And we went into the cave. So I've been in it. And that's called Cave One in Qumran. Cool. Yeah, it's totally cool. Yeah. And so, uh, and because of the location geographically, it's kind of steep to get up there. And it's jagged. So you have to be very careful when you go up. And it's not something like, hey, let's just go up and look at, look around up there. You don't want to do that. There's got to be a reason for you right. to go up these hills. It's not like it is here in America. You get this hill, let's go walk up you know, while you're whistling. This one, you grab, you move, you grab, you move, you grab, you move, you slide while you're holding on, you move. It's that kind of thing. So so they, uh, they discovered, I, think that, I don't know how many caves they discovered, but like 17 or something like that. So... Uh, we've been to a place, I actually have seen the different caves, they show different, uh, from a, a certain area you can look at them. But at any rate, okay, so it looks like the Essenes were the ones who did the scrolls. And in there is the Isaiah scroll, which was uh, done, they say, was copied in the Qumran caves, was copied around 100 BC. Prior to that, the oldest existent manuscript that they'd had of Isaiah was from 900 AD. So that's a thousand year uh -huh. difference. And uh, the critics huh. uh, were basically silenced. There were a few variants in the wording and a couple things here and there in the copy, the, the thousand years different, but it was so minor 
that the critics just didn't really say much. They, well, it's, yeah, it's pretty stinking accurately transmitted. So, um, and they found other things as well, other writings. And uh, so I've actually seen the Dead Sea Scrolls too um, in Israel. Oh, wow. Behind glass and uh, got to see them. So been in the cave and have seen them, you know, and uh, what a privilege that has been. But that's about what I know about it. Okay. And you said the Dead Sea Scrolls were dated around, you said, 100 B.C.? They were written uh, about that time, I think, and uh, probably a little bit before and after. So I'll do some research. I can put it in my list of questions, which is what I'm I'm doing right now. You know, what are the Dead Sea Scrolls and when were they written? You know, so uh, I haven't written an article on that. Okay. And And you uh, said they were completed in 980, if I heard that correctly? No, no. The up to that point, the, the Book of Isaiah, the oldest copy they had was from 900 A.D. When the Dead Sea Scrolls ah. were found, the Isaiah scroll in there was 100 B.C. So it's a thousand-year difference. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So that was really, it, it was very helpful. It was a very helpful thing. So I just added that tech that question in. Now um, I have 785 questions to answer on my list. Oh, you're welcome. No, no problem. Yeah, thanks, th- thanks a lot. Uh, <laughs> now I have 785. So uh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm here to help, Matt. I'm here to help. Appreciate it. Um, uh, no problem at all. Yeah. Okay, brother. Uh, all right, man. Hey, you, well, there's uh, a break. Hold on. You can you hold on? Or, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, just hold on. We have nobody waiting, so just you can hold. Hey, folks, if you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. We'll be right back. Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, we welcome back to the show. Let's get back with Jamal. Welcome, brother. Are you still there? Yes, sir. That's okay. All right. Um, the other question that I wanted to ask was about uh, Israel, about mm-hmm. its finding. Um, I comparing about the how... It belongs to them. It doesn't belong to them. So while I had you on the phone, I wanted to ask you about that as well. Well, it belongs to them because God gave it to them. And so okay. uh, I, I actually wrote an article, this, uh, two articles this morning. One will be released tomorrow. And one of them dealt with the issue of why God had the Jews wipe out Canaan, the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons was because God had decided to give that land to uh, to the people of Israel. And Canaan was uh, the offspring of Ham, you know, from Noah's flood, Noah's three sons. And so they became wicked, very wicked people. And so they were wiped out. So God, God himself appointed the Jews to have that land so long ago. So therefore, it belongs to the Jews. Okay. All right. Well, so, uh, that makes uh, that's me, and also, I mean, that's the only Jewish state in the world besides New Jersey. So it's like, uh, yeah, to me, this is kind of being inflexible a little bit. It's like, uh, well, you guys don't really have to have that. Like, we have all the other lands we can go to. You just want to go to these guys just because it's personal. 
Um, so that's another reason why I don't agree with um, the whole free Palestine thing. You guys have the rest of the whole world to go to. You have right. some other place we call home. This is the only place that you guys call home. Let them have it. I mean, it's not that big a deal in my opinion. Yeah. I think it's to have them have their state. Oh, I meant to say it like that. That's okay. See, the problem is uh, in the Quran, it's Surah 551, O you who believe, take not Jews and Christians for your friends' protectors. They are friends and protectors of each other. And uh, so the the Muslims are taught early that the Jews are animals. Not every Muslim is, but a lot of them are, are taught this. That Jews are animals, and um, they persecuted the... Actually, I could tell you a lot of stuff about it, but at any rate, so the the Muslims are taught to basically hate um, Jews. So they don't care if they have the land belongs to them or not. They want them out. That's all. They're irrational, and uh, Islam's an evil religion. So um, it's bad news. But yeah, yeah. It's uh, when I uh, talk to people about that, according to what you've been teaching. I've been able to say that. It's like, okay, well, you can love the Muslims that don't like their doctrine. Uh, because they have in their book about lying and about uh, killing in the name of Allah. Mm-hmm. And even Allah was, uh, was it Allah that was a warlord or was it Muhammad? Well, Muhammad was a, a warlord. He, Islam expanded by, I think, had 200 battles within the first 150 years or something like that. And Muhammad was a violent man. He had people killed. And he approved of them being but, deceptive liars. He took other men's wives, uh, things like that. He was uh, he's an evil man. Yeah. Okay, good stuff. All right, well, uh, thanks for the, the call. Uh, I apologize for turning it into, into a conversation. Uh, that, was, right. that was my fault, but it's uh, always good stuff. Thank you, Matt Slick, and uh, God bless. <laughs> All right, man. Well, God bless, buddy. All right, man. We'll see you. All right, that was Jamal from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. If you want to give me a call, we have wide open lines, 877-207-2276. We don't have anybody waiting right now, so maybe what I'll do is uh, get to some radio questions and comments. Um, I answered this one before recently, but someone asked asked me a question earlier. He was on the radio. I'll go over it again. Um, is there any doctrines that I've changed my view on as I've gotten old, older and studied more? And the last doctrine, if you want to call it a doctrine or position, I should say, that I changed was um, dealing with the which one are taken first, with the wicked or the the good when Jesus returns. I used to believe the first ones taken were the good, and I've changed, and now I believe that the the uh, the the evil are the ones who are taken first, and that's because of Matthew thirteen, roughly thirty through forty range, and what Jesus says, and He says the first ones taken are the are the wicked, and before that, and this might ruffle some feathers, before that, uh, the doctrine that got me, uh, or that the doctrine I kind of modified, uh, was uh, baptism. I believe now, uh, having studied the scriptures, I believe it can be by immersion, pouring, and sprinkling. And I believe that Jesus was sprinkled at his baptism. And the reason I believe that is because uh, he had to fulfill the law. 
and the law requirement in the Old Testament in order to enter into the priesthood, the priest, uh, the, the man had to be sprinkled with water. That's a direct command out of the Old Testament. And along with those command, with that command is, uh, is anointing with the oil, that's the Holy Spirit, a verbal blessing given by beloved on whom I'm well pleased. It had to be 30 years of age, Jesus was 30. And all of this seems to fit uh, what he had to do and in Numbers 8, 7, it says, uh, let them be sprinkled with water. So I'm like, well, I'm reading that going, oh, my goodness, that's what it says. And I did a search for the word water in the entire Old Testament, every single occurrence of the word water. It took me a while. And I, I looked at every uh, context and everything, and no place that I find where in the issue of the priesthood was a priest immersed in water. It just I didn't find it they were uh, they had water poured on them or sprinkled and so uh, then I had to convert to that position uh, and most people don't agree with that and that's okay I'm just telling people why I believe what I do and and uh, stuff like that and uh, and before that I got some other ones I changed one view in 1991 <laughs> Maybe it was 92. I remember that, too. That's another question. All right. Let's try uh, Emilio, Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome. You're on the air. Uh, how you doing, Matt? Oh, hanging in there, man. Hanging in there. I would like uh, your, your comment on uh, Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. Okay. Well, let me read them, then. He said, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive, keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Okay, so what about it? Mm -hmm. Okay, I would like your, your interpretation or clarification on these two verses. Well, what I believe it is, yeah, I believe it's God's judgment on people so they'll not be saved. That's okay. what I believe. In fact, if I were to read you this, let me read you what Jesus says in uh, Mark. Uh, what? What? That's weird. Wow. Oh, wow. That was weird. Woo! You know how you look at something and you don't see what you're looking at? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> it just happened because I found out why. And there's a break. So hold on, brother. Hold on, man. We'll get uh, we'll get back to you right after the break, okay? Hey, folks, we have two open lines if you want to give me a call. 877-207-2276. Be right back. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Before we get back to Emilio, I just want to say that yesterday, I forgot to mention it, yesterday I released my preppers list. I'm going to keep adding to it. But for a few years now, I've been uh, developing a list. It was just a personal list, things to watch for, things to look at. You know, be, because uh, sometimes you don't think of things. And a list just helps you go through a bunch of stuff. Most of the stuff I don't need. But I developed this list because even though I put things on there that I don't need, I thought they were good to have as a list in general because you, your needs sometimes change. And so I put this list uh, 
over a few couple three years and i put it together and released it it's not a, a very big deal but uh it's on the carm homepage if you want to check it out also i look i uh i think i messed up with the newsletter last night when i released it and um so i'm speaking at the utah uh, Re- uh, utah christian research center in Draper, Utah, on the 17th at 9 o'clock in the morning, Saturday. I put the newsletter out, and uh, and I had to do a calendar thing on it. And I haven't done a calendar thing in so long, I forgot how to do it properly. Well, I had to reteach myself this morning, got it all taken care of. And uh, that's what that is. So, not a big deal, but stuff. So many things. Let's get to Emilio. You still there? Yes, sir. All right, so you asked me about Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, and I'm going to go over to bit. I'm going to show you something. It says, uh, go tell these people, you keep on listening, don't perceive, you look looking, but you don't understand. Uh, they're insensitive, their ears are dull, their eyes are dim, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their hear, ears, excuse me, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. So this is what Jesus said when they asked him, why do you speak in parables? In Mark four ten through 12, and he said, mm-hmm. To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that, and he starts quoting this, Isaiah, while seeing they may see Mm -hmm. and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. That's what Jesus interprets it as. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's to prevent them from being forgiven, so to speak, or actually it would be a, a statement of judgment on them. Okay? Okay. All right. Did so, that answer it enough? Okay. Uh, so, yeah, so basically what you're saying is so there are those who are condemned and those, and there are those who are saved. There are those who are saved. There are those who are condemned. That's right. Jesus speaks in parables, so in one of the reasons he says, so the people will not be forgiven. Mark 4, so, 10 through 12. So they will yeah. not be forgiven. Right. Okay. 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 Thank you. Okay. There it is. All right. right. You're welcome. Okay. Let's get to Arthur from Utah. Arthur, you're on the air. Hey, how's it going, Matt? Oh, it's going. Hanging in there. Ah, good to hear. Good to hear. Um, I just had a question for you. So I kind of, I kind of grew up in the church. Been in the church a long time. And my question would be, how do you know when to leave a church? Because I've seen a lot of people, you know, kind of come and go. And, you know, people have their reasons. And just looking biblically, it's, it's hard for me to find anywhere, even where Paul addresses that instance. And I know the early church was typically, you go to the church where your community's at. And um, is there any grounds for leaving a church? or yes. What's your opinion on that, or maybe a biblical basis for that? Well, when they stop being a church, for one thing, uh, stop being biblical, when they were, say a church starts denying the Trinity, the deity of Christ, um, salvation Mm -hmm. by grace alone through faith alone, then uh, it's a false church, you need to leave. Let's say the church starts having women pastors, well, it's time to leave, because it's definitely a contradiction of Scripture. And so, leave. What if they start going woke? And, uh, and that could be take many forms. You 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 got to leave. What if uh, they start preaching only those things that the denominational headquarters tells them to preach? 
you got to leave because uh, then they're being submitted to an earthly organization and not to God's word, and you can't trust them. Uh, let's say the pastor, for example, I've heard of an instance of this kind of thing happening, um, uses the people of the church for personal gain, like having them serve him at his house, clean his house, clean his yard, and uh, while well, he, he goes in and relaxes, because that's service to God, is service to the pastor. Uh, that's time to leave as well. Um, and there's other things. Let's say a pastor commits no. adultery, and then the eldership just says, oh, it's all forgiven, it's all taken care of, and he continues. No, he's disqualified. He's brought reproach upon mm -hmm. the name of Christ, he's disqualified. And if they can't see that, then yeah. you leave. Okay? Stuff like that. Gotcha. Okay. So in the sense of, so I'm reminded of that scripture that's talking about um, bearing with one another in love. And is there, mm -hmm. is there a certain extent where you would, you know, let's just say your church is doing something, and is there a certain extent that you would confront, you know, leadership and sure. try and work things out? Because I, I, know, I know that biblically, like, if your brother's in sin, go to them, and if he mm -hmm. continues to sin, then bring a friend, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I've really just been kind of playing with that idea of bearing with one another in love, and if it's just like as simple as like a theological difference you know is it i mean i i think partially maybe the holy spirit is is really what should convict you a lot um but definitely the bible yes is the word of god and and that should be your your basis because the bible is never going to contradict the holy spirit so in that sense what levels do you take because i've seen people who you know they they go to church for years and years and years and then the pastor says something and they have a theological disagreement and they leave. So I, I just, I don't know, you know, I have a hard time with that. And I think, you know, I've been in that position before, too, where I felt that way. But at the same time, you know, I think Paul does confront even the Church of Ephesus, you know, and, or in Ephesus, and tells them basically repent and turn from your sins. But that was kind of an apostolic covering, in a sense, I guess. So I don't know. I mean, is it well, pretty the, um, subjective? In that yeah, it's, there's a lot of it is subjective. So if you want to give some specifics about stuff, we could talk about it. Um, well, I mean, like, let's just say you go to a church and, you know, they're Arminianist and you're a Calvinist, and this is a hypothetical, mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. you know, like a theological disagreement with that. You can make a case, I believe, for both, and so I, I would never see a reason to leave over that, but I have mm -hmm. seen people over that and I'm not saying what they did is right or wrong but same time you know it's kind of like where do you draw well, the line what if uh, here's a you know, I, used to, I used to go to Calvary Chapel and uh, they're definitely not mm -hmm. reformed but I'm reformed I, I went there for years yeah. no problem if the pastor had started snotting on reformed theology I would have uh, talked to him and said what are you doing it causing division in the body of Christ and if he wouldn't stop I would say okay I'm done I'm, I'm gone so, you know, it just depends, you know, and uh, there's lots of okay. other reasons, too, to, to leave a church. You know, legalism, King James-only-ism, things like that, you know, uh, attacking f yeah. uh, fellow Christians on on debatable issues, uh, you know, mm -hmm. causing division. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right, ma'am. Well, God bless. Are you, uh, where are you in Utah? 
So I, I'm in Eagle Mountain. Oh, boy, I don't even know where that is. Yeah, I'm going to be in Draper um, on the 17th, you know, speaking at a thing. That's all. No big deal. You know, if you're ever okay. curious. So awesome, how far yeah. is... I, I used so, to live in Draper, so... I used to live oh. in Draper, so it's about 20 minutes uh, southwest oh. from there. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, no big deal. Not too far. 15. Yeah, not yeah. too far. All right. Well, hey, man. Um, yeah, let me know what happens, because... Those, what you're talking about is actually closer to my heart than a lot of other issues. Believe it or not, that's a, that's a serious yeah, issue. Yeah, no, I agree, and, and I've I've gone through a lot with other people and had people leave churches over, you know, some silly issues and just disagreements. Yep. It, it's a difficult thing, but it's you know that's one of those things with you know you got to love them and you know they'll show Christ no matter what and follow truth. Yes. Um, well, since there's nobody waiting, uh, let's see, let's see. Uh, how about this? I remember back in Southern California, I did pulpit supply for a while. And that means uh, churches all over Southern California, they would call me up and say, hey, could you preach on such and such a date? You know, our pastor's on sabbatical or he's sick or whatever. And uh, I said, sure, you know. So I, I did a lot of pulpit supply, and I learned to go into the churches, meet with the elders beforehand and say, is there an issue you don't want me to to touch that is sensitive? You know, uh, not that I was going to compromise the word, but you just got to be aware. And they had just one yeah. church that had a church had a division over the color of carpet. Uh. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. That's Time to insane. Leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, brother. There's the music. I got to go. All right. We'll talk to you later, man. All right. All right. Okay. Thanks. All right, Take care. Bye. Okay. Hey, folks, if you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. We'll be right back. It's Matt Slick Live. Taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. It's the last segment of the hour. And um, if you want to give me a call, all you have to do is dial 877-207-2276. I want to hear from you. Give me a call. And if you want, you can email me at info at carm.org, info at carm.org. And just uh, put in the in the subject, uh, radio question or radio comment. And... Um, there you go. There you go. All right. Let's get some, some more questions. Thank you. First, uh, well, that's really long. Can't get into that. Um, interesting. What are the essentials and what should be considered secondary? Well, let's see. Marsha did that one. I have an article on that on CARM. And if you're interested in that, I'll go through it. Uh, if you go to CARM.org forward slash doctrine hyphen Grid, doctrine grid. It should be maybe doctrine table. I think both of them will get it to it. And what I did uh, was, uh, yeah, it's called a doctrine table. And so, um, what I did was, I went through the scriptures uh, over the years. I was as I would study, whenever I would find an essential doctrine stated by the scriptures, I would make note of it. And so, after I think it was two years of that that I'd wrote an article and I called it the doctrine table. 
Oh, excuse me. Oh, connection yawn. Sorry about that. And what I discovered through this study was two levels of of essentials. I call them primary and secondary essentials. So what I'll define what those terms are and why I use them that way, and then I'll go through and tell you what the what I've seen the scripture says are essentials. Not what I think, but what the scriptures say, and I'll show you. So a primary essential is an essential doctrine that is stated in the scripture as being so because it contains a warning or a consequence or a penalty for denying it. And so uh, I call that a primary uh, essential and it cannot be denied and you're still a Christian. You cannot deny these openly, knowingly, persistently and, and be a Christian. Secondary essentials are not stated in the scripture as being essential, but they, because they don't have a warning attached to them, and uh, but yet they are also foundational of the Christian church, and so I'll get to those. So, uh, for example, uh, one of the essential doctrines of the Christian faith is that Jesus is, is still both God and man. And Jesus says in John 8, 24, he says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And in John 8, 58, he says, before Abraham was, I am, he's claiming to be God. So if you don't believe he's God in flesh, you'll die in your sins. Number two is that Jesus rose from the dead physically in the same body he died in. There was a glorified body. And that is out of 1 Corinthians 15, 14. If Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. See the consequence. If he's not risen, you don't really have true faith. So there's a, an essential component there. The third one is the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus according to the scriptures. First Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. And it says in Galatians 1, 8, 9, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And Paul says that two times. He repeats himself. So you have to have the true gospel or you're cursed. Number four, there's only one God in all existence. And you can go to Exodus 20, verses 3 through 5 for the warning in there. But Isaiah 43, 10, 44, 6, 44, 8 also talk about there's only one God. But the, the warning comes in when uh, God says in the Ten Commandments, he says, you should have no other God before me. And, you know, if you don't, you have other gods, then he will visit iniquity and punishment upon you and your generations to come. So that's an essential, of course. You've got to be born again, John 3, 3. Uh, you can't be can't go to heaven unless you're born again. So there's a warning. Unless this is the case, you cannot. You know, I just thought of something. It might be, uh, I could also say you can't come to Christ unless it's been granted you from the Father. Well, that's not a, but people don't know that. That's interesting. I might say that. But Jesus says, unless one's born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven, etc. All right. So, uh, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's uh, Romans 3, 28, 5, 1, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Galatians 3, 1 through 2, and Galatians 5, 1 through 4. Because in Galatians 5, 1 through 4, there's a warning. It says, you've, if you um, are seeking to be justified by the law, you've uh, fallen from grace. You've been severed. And so there's a warning there. 
And then the seventh one is Jesus is the only way to God the Father, because Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. So I debated on, is that a primary or a secondary essential? But I think it has enough in there because it says, you know, you can't come to the Father unless this is the case. And so uh, it's an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. So here are some secondary essentials. They're still part of the the essential doctrine or the essential corpus of the Christian faith, but they are not stated in Scripture as being essential with a warning uh, associated with denial or lack of affirming or things like that. So God exists as a trinity, as a secondary essential. God is one uh, being who exists as three simultaneous co-eternal persons. But nothing in Scripture says, Thou shalt affirm the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, etc., or else you'll be damned. Nothing says that. But the Trinity is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith, but it's not a primary in the sense that it contains a warning, and it doesn't. You could say, well, yes, if you go to Exodus 20, you don't know God before. And you could you could imply the Trinity is a primary essential in that sense. And maybe I will. You know, Maybe I'll modify that a little bit and include it. I, I don't know. But um, uh, you see what I'm getting anyway. Okay, and here's another one. Uh, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Nothing in the Bible says uh, that thou shalt believe in the virgin birth or else you go to hell. So you really can't, though, uh, without affirming the, the excuse me, the virgin birth, you can't affirm uh, the, the dual nature of Christ, let's say, the hypostatic union, because we want to be able to say that he d does have that. So it really is an important doctrine. All right, so this is in the basics of the Christian faith. Well, what about uh, orthopraxy? What I just taught you was orthodoxy, good doctrine, orthodoxy. And orthopraxy is good practice, so primary essentials. Uh, primary, uh, I can put it this way, primary non-essentials and secondary non-essentials, okay? So primary non-essentials uh, that they are necessary for us to have, moral integrity. And if we say we know God and we don't keep his commandments, the truth is not innocent, we're a liar. So we have to do what God wants. You can't go around murdering, committing adultery, you know, etc. And be claim to be a Christian. So there's that. There's practice of fidelity in marriage and uh, in heterosexual relationships. The condemnation of homosexuality. Uh, this is all orthopraxy, proper practice. Also believing and affirming the inerrancy of the Bible. Uh, also that baptism is not essential for salvation because it's not, and I can get into that. It's a whole other topic. Eternal security, um, I put as a proper uh, doctrine of, of orthopraxy. Uh, but I put a note in there, if salvation is maintained through obedience, then it is outside of biblical orthodoxy, and I could expand on that. So I do know that there are people who believe you're going to lose your salvation who are genuine Christians. I think they're inconsistent, but I left it at that. All right, so here's some uh, secondary non-essentials. So there's a wide variety of opinions on these, for example, predestination, election, limited atonement, doctrines of free will, how that works. That's not I'm saying for grabs, but uh, there's a, just a, a lot of different opinions about that within the the body of Christ. Communion every week, monthly, quarterly. When should you have that? That's debatable too. Should you worship on Saturday or Sunday or any other day? Or how about uh, pre-trib rapture, mid-trib rapture, post-trib rapture? 
Well, these are all secondary essentials. Secondary non-essentials, I should say. You can believe them but not believe them, and you're still in the camp of Christ. Premillennialism, amillennialism, postmillennialism, partial preterism are within orthodoxy. Continuationism or cessationism of the charismatic gifts. You know, if you hold either position, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian or or whatever. Baptism for adults or infants. Uh, now, I believe in infant baptism, but not for salvation. I believe it's a covenant sign a manifestation of the Abrahamic covenant which is still in effect. It's a theological position, but it's not explicitly taught in Scripture. So I say that if you believe in if a baptism not for a saving thing, but as a covenantal requirement that you believe is covenantally faithful, that's acceptable. If you say you don't believe in infant baptism because you don't see it in Scripture, that's also acceptable. So both of those are within orthodoxy in that realm. And also musical instruments in church or not musical instruments in church. You don't have to have them. But the Bible does say in Psalms, you know, praise God with the stringed instruments and things like that. So we could make a stronger case to have them in than not. But, uh, you know, if you don't want to do it, that, that that's okay. You know, there's all kinds of varieties. So that is what I developed um, over a period of two years, roughly, um, before I wrote the initial doc, uh, document and then uh, modified it over the next few years. So when did I write this? I think I released, yeah, it says November 23rd, 2008. So it's been out there. And also uh, in that same doctrine table, I wrote uh, religious groups that deny some of the essentials. And I have them numbered, the, the number of essentials there, one through seven, as primary and uh, which groups contradict which ones or deny which ones like the Christadelphians deny 1, 3, and 6 and uh, Islam 1, 2, 3, 4, and 6 Jehovah's Witnesses 1, 2, 3, 6 Mormonism denies you know 3, 4, 5, 6 which is uh, the gospel what it is uh, there's only one God uh, must be born again um, and salvation by grace alone so you know it's just different things it was trying to be helpful and every now and then every year or two or three I go through and modify it a little bit and just kind of polish it up and uh, I can make a course out of this I could just teach out of it which would be fun to do I love teaching people so there you go hope that question Marsha maybe it's Marsha 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 I don't know but I hope that question was answered uh, well enough and there it is, right there on uh, on that uh, document, Christian doctrine. It's called the Doctrine Table, and uh, and it's a I could say it's a proposed table of essential Christian doctrines. And I do recommend you guys study this out there because it will really help you a lot when you want to discern what are the essentials and what you should do about things that are not essentials, things that are the adiaphora the non-essentials things are debatable vegetarianism well, carnivore those are that's up to you things those are debatable adiaphora they're non-essentials there's a lot of stuff like that in the scriptures all right so there you go we are about out of time so may the lord bless you and by his grace we'll be back on here tomorrow i have tomorrow night a two-hour interview or something like that someone's going to interview me for a couple of hours and if you guys uh yeah, answering Adventism. Uh, East, I mean, uh, Seventh-day Adventism. So I'll be doing that for a couple of hours, going through some stuff. But these guys know more about it than I do. They're just asking me other questions, so we'll see. 
Hey, may the Lord bless you, and I hope that uh, by His grace, you'll be back on the air with me tomorrow, listening and having a good time. Drive safely. Have a great evening, and, uh, and God bless. Talk to you later. Another program powered by the Truth Network.